The entire team at Emsolation want to acknowledge that we are gathered on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We want to recognise that we are recording and telling our stories on the stolen land of our country's first storytellers. We wish to pay our respects to all Wurundjeri elders and ancestors and to extend that respect to any First Nations peoples who listen to Emsolation. We recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's continued connection to the land and waters of this country and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be. Well, hello there. Happy New Year. It's 2023, y'all. Woo-woo! You know, I hope you had a break. I hope you're refreshed. I hope you're ready to just face this year and just kill it. And I am going to help you. The next two weeks, you are in for a treat, Emsolators. I have to tell you right now. But before I do that, let me just say my name is M. Rossiano. I'm a writer, a singer, a stand-up comedian, a maximalist power queen, a neurodivergent magic brain. And together with my best friend since I was 11, actor award winner, Logie award winner and Australian screenwriter, Mr. Michael Lucas, we bring you this podcast. And I just knew that you would all need something as we head into the new school and work here, just to give you a little pep in your step, just a little bit of purpose. And what I'm about to give you is a service that, you know what, the rare few get. We're talking Ash Barty. We're talking uh, very important footballers whose names I can never remember. We're talking Stephanie Gilmore, Dylan Alcott. We're talking people in Geneva at the World Health Organisation, the UN. We're talking Ben Crow. Ben Crow is Australia's most in-demand professional mentor and leadership coach. He has worked with, obviously, Ash Barty, Dylan Alcott. He worked with, as I just said, eight times world surfing champion Stephanie Gilmore. He's worked with the Australian cricket team. He's worked with some of the Richmond footy people. Wow, he's going to love this intro. But most recently, he has decided to try and help as many people as possible with his Mojo Mindset course. The course mirrors the same journey that Ben takes all of the really impressive people on. Not that you're not impressive, but you know what I mean, like the big the big guns. Because he realised the journey is the same for all of us, regardless of what our jobs are. He helped me tackle my National Press Club address and my first session with him was life-changing. I have to say my mindset completely shifted after one session with him and I was lucky enough to do three. We've become friends. I mean, I haunt him. And the minute I left him, I knew that you all needed him. Everybody needs Ben Crow in their life. He's very humble I think he sometimes needs to apply the rules to himself, but that's part of his delight. He agreed to come and have a chat with me and I literally kept him in the studio for nearly two hours. So you're going to be getting two episodes. This is a big two-parter because I wanted to squeeze as much out of him as I could. You need to go and listen to Mojo Espresso. That is his podcast, Quick Hits of Enlightenment, of Coaching, And the thing I love about Ben is it's simple stuff, hard to apply, but he makes it, you know, he makes it seem less overwhelming and and palatable. And I left this chat as I always do with him, 
feeling lighter, feeling curious, feeling reinvigorated. And I know that that's what we all need, especially heading into a new year. So it is just, I'm so delighted. I feel very honoured that he allows, you know, me into his life and into his space. (laughs) And now you. So we're going to get straight into it. This is part one. Part two will be out next week with some of your questions for Ben. But in this chat, we talk about a wide range of things, but especially, you know, the things he did for me in the lead up to my National Press Club address. And he also takes you through some exercises. So if you are able to maybe grab a pen and paper or do a little voice memo, I mean, obviously this is a podcast, you can rewind and play, rewind and play, but I know a lot of you are going to want to make some notes here because this stuff is gold. It is gold, I'm telling you. Please enjoy my chat with mindset coach and all-round legend, Ben Crow. No, I really have. So this is juice? That's your green juice. Okay. Have that. It's the my regular. I get coffee and a green juice. The boys just... Yum. And this is my cow's milk. That's your cow's milk. Out of your insulation, bloody... Don't burn yourself, though, because they tend to make it a bit hot at that cafe, I find. And are we filming? Yeah. Cool. It's going to be great. How long's insulation been going? We're going into our the fourth year, James? Third? Third, yeah. Third year. Yeah, it started in my roof, just with Michael and I. Back in? 2020. 2020. Yeah. So it's a pandemic. Yeah, no, well, that's why it's called, yeah, talk to the mic. That's why it's called, we're recording, I record everything. Same as Mojo. Um, we were created during a pandemic. That's why it's called Emsolation, because it's M in isolation. Like it. Yeah. Yep, I knew that. Yeah, I was born out of uh, all live gigs stopped and I needed a job. Yeah. So. Take control. Here I you go. did. I often have to. <laughs> so it's been out of control. Ben Crow, welcome. I've got a fancy intro. Your incredible PA, Alicia, has sent, and I'll be doing that. She's amazing. She is. She is. I actually she makes me look to. good. Oh! I don't have to write one though. Yep, everyone loves Alicia. It's a pain, like it's it's a pain in the ass how much everyone loves Alicia. Uh, do people try and steal her from you? <laughs> she's been. Yes, I'm, I'm close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. <laughs> this was a short interview, wasn't it? Oh, stop it, <laughs> Ben Crow. I want to thank you with my whole heart for being here. Truly, this is. A long time coming. The second I met our uh, left, I left our first session. I'm like, I gotta get that guy to give his magic to my listeners because you helped me. In, like, it, I don't even. We'll go back to the beginning. Lots of people are curious about how and why we met because mm. we're not a mm. natural alliance. Would you say? True. Yeah. Well, I don't know what a natural alliance <laughs> looks like. Well, you're a sporty but... sport guy. <clears throat> I started in sport, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess sports part of the entertainment industry, and the entertainment industry is just the storytelling industry, and you can get distracted if you believe all that shit's real. So whether you're a musician or an actor or a comedian or mm. an athlete, you know they're all kind of distracted for the same things. But you're right, yes, it's not a natural progression how our worlds crossed. It's kind of funny how they did cross because they kind of crossed and they uncrossed. Right? Yeah. I, I tried to find you, then you then you kind of hid from me for a while. <laughs> <laughs> A year, a year apart, and then you then you reached out again. I did. <laughs> I became aware of you through Ash Barty, obviously. Ash's sister is a big fan of mine, comes to all my live shows, yeah. and Nikki, her manager, also looked after me in a very difficult part of my life. Forever grateful to Nikki. And um, 
I just, I don't know, I saw you on the fringes and then I, I heard you on a podcast and I was at a real kind of crossroad and I just thought, oh, I'm going to fucking send this guy a message. And I sent you a message and then you didn't respond for ages and ages and because you don't, you weren't following me, you had no idea who I was, why would you? Well, and I think you slid in the DMs, didn't you? I, I slid in the I DMs. I struggle with those sometimes. So do I. And then I erased the message. Yeah, <laughs> you did too. <laughs> did too. And um, then you came back and said you sent me a message and I and, and I want to know what, you know, I'm here and I'm sorry. Yeah. But, and I just said, look, I'm really sorry. I, I've got rejection sensitivity dysphoria. I'm not good with asking for help. But uh, I've got a press club address coming up. This was ages after that first message. Yeah. And you just said, yeah, I'm in. And I was like, I panicked. I was like, <laughs> Why did you agree given how busy you are? What about... Why were you in so quickly? Like, because that was so impressive and you're so in demand and you're so exhausted and you're everywhere to everyone. Mm. Why did that, why were you in so quickly? It's a good question. I don't really know, to be frank. It's very much an instinctive thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of, yeah, you were vulnerable first and foremost. And when you sent me a message and then deleted it, it yeah, kind of figured, okay, this, this person really wants to catch up, but maybe doesn't know how to ask someone out on a date kind of thing. So... Yeah, it was literally based on that, that I think I proactively tracked down your number via Nikki and then you dropped, did. dropped you that message. And you did. Even though it took you a year to get back to me. <laughs> um, timing is everything. You can only join the dots looking back on your life. Mm. And obviously when you mentioned the upcoming press club, which is, you know, shit scary for anyone, and when you explained the topic of it, uh, I thought, oh, wow, okay. Um, here's a small opportunity that, you know, you might not want to do the full kind of mojo show kind of deep dive, but inadvertently through oh the work God. that we did together, you kind of did do the, the deep dive and you're able to identify, what, you know, what your not enoughness story was. But more importantly, you're able to use this address to kind of unlock your authenticity. You know, your vulnerability obviously is your superpower, as you mentioned. And kind of through the messaging, you kind of found your own purpose, your own sense of why, and obviously the impact of that. And to be frank, while the first session was pretty heavy, you know, for you, the second session was, you know, when you went into, that was heavy for me because, you know, it's, it's rare a client makes me cry. <gasps> oh, my God. Okay, yeah. wait. We're going too fast. We're going too fast. This is all too much already. No, it's true. It's true. And anyway, we'll, that get, was, we'll, get, we'll get to it. Yeah. I mean, uh, when, I, when I first came to see you, I was certainly... I hadn't actually started writing the speech, but also I came to you really, I'd come off the back of an ADHD diagnosis and I wasn't really sure, you know, what I was presenting to the world, who I was, because everything I'd believed about myself to my core had been flipped on its head. So I was going through that classic, who am I? I'm, you know, I'm in my early forties. I'm a mother. I know all my labels, but I don't know who I am away from those labels. Yep. So I really was coming to you a hot fucking mess. <laughs> Everyone does, by the way. No one comes to me when they've got their shit together. You poor bugger. Um, you, know. you really get everyone when they're just at their most like, oh, God, everything's open, let's go. <laughs> and I didn't know what to expect and I came in and you put a box of tissues next to me and you said, don't worry, you know, everyone goes through a few boxes. And I'm like, okay, mate, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and the second we started chatting, I mean, I think with, with me because I've – since we've seen each other, also learned that I am Asperger's. Yeah. So I'm not very good at reading social cues and I'm not very good at eye contact unless I trust you. And I'm um, not very good at reading a room and I'm quite blunt and honest. And so I have to feel people out. 
But as soon as I kind of sat with you, I realised that you're very spectrum friendly. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're used to dealing with intense people and I felt really safe with you straight away. And I have to say those four hours or whatever they were, five hours, are the most intense I've ever spent with a person. It's the best therapy I've ever had. I have since that moment been a different person, all because of one thing you unlocked in me, which we'll get to. So when I sat down with you and and we'll talk about, you know, you, you helped me to figure out my, the story I tell myself about myself. So when people come to you, and I know that this is what's the what's the human connection with every single person, regardless of if they're world number one in tennis or mother of three. What's the one thing people come to you, and what's their brokenness? What's their like? Can you distill it? They don't know who they are, and the bits they do know, they don't like themselves enough or love themselves enough. <clears throat> and in trying to find that out, unfortunately, we get distracted and we go externally mm. rather than internally. And if mm. you go external to work out your self worth or who, who are you, you're just going to get distracted. But by we all do that, totally, right? Yeah. Like we all look for validation mm. in places we shouldn't. Correct. And that's just, that's like, that's what's poisoning everything at the moment. Yeah. It's my hypothesis. The number one issue on the, on the planet by far that if we can get to that place and we probably won't, probably won't in my lifetime, but if we could even just chase it down, right, it'd be a a step in the right direction is unconditional love, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's love of self without wanting it externally right, or looking for it externally. Um, and the problem is trying to find it externally. We'll just get distracted by, there's typically five extrinsic motivations. The first one's money. Once I make that money, then I'll be enough. Then I'll be valuable. Mm. Then I'll be worthy. Well, that doesn't work. I've got a, a client in New York who said once he made his third billion, he thought his dad would love him, right? I mean, how, his third billion? Yeah. How sad is that? Like, oh that's just, gosh. the second one is materialism. Once I get that car, that house, that handbag, then I'll, then I'll be enough. The mm. third one's corporate status. Once I get that promotion, the fourth one's social status. Once I'm recognized socially. And the fifth one, which is literally crippling the world at the moment, is this ridiculous craving recognition, obsessing and caring what people think about me and saying about me rather than what I think about myself. Because mm. now I want you to give me what I'm not even prepared to give myself, that mm. unconditional love. But if mm. you can go the other way, if you can go internal rather than external and be kinder to yourself and gentler with yourself and celebrate yourself and love yourself unconditionally. So there's no conditions. It's not based on what you look like or how much money you got or whether you're in a relationship or not in a relationship, you can just fucking love yourself unconditionally and stay there, then you can lose yourself. So you can find yourself, lose yourself and find someone else to love, Mm. you know, which is also unlocking your purpose, Mm. create an environment for others to be successful. But Mm. unfortunately, there's nowhere where you can kind of go to find out this this kind of stuff. Um, About 25 years ago, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld said – at the Atlanta Olympics, he said, there's no such thing as fame school where you can learn to be famous. When he made that comment, it kind of stopped me on my tracks. And I went for a run the, a few days later, but I thought there's also no such a thing as human being school where you can learn to be a good human being first. Correct. Because you think about it, right? As soon as you go to primary school, mm-hmm. and you, you spoke about it so beautifully in the in the press talk, as soon as you go to primary school, you learn about achievement to mm-hmm. make you feel significant, right? You get you get compared, you get bell curves, there's ATARs, you get a gold star, right? So you constantly feel like you've got to do something or achieve something in order to be someone. Mm. Well, that carries over to secondary school, carries over the workforce and the professions. So as a human race, we constantly believe our self-worth is predicated on having to do something or achieve something, mm. which means, we'll, based on that premise, we'll never be content, we'll never be fulfilled and we'll never feel like we're enough because mm. we're always feeling like it's conditional on having to do something or achieve something. They go, fuck that. Maybe there's a simpler way. Mm. Maybe I can just accept myself unconditionally. 
I think that's why we get distracted. Mm. And, and, you know, and it's kind of a hard process to kind of do on your own, as, Dude, as you kind of know. Impossible. <laughs> and we also treat enough like a destination. Have a drink of your juice. This is a very low-key podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, like enough is, yeah, it's a destination to reach. And that is the issue I have with goal setting in general because you're setting yourself up to fail straight away. And also the issue I have with the <clears> idea of self-confidence. So I listen to oh, your... Oh, good. This is going to be an interesting episode. Yeah, right? Yeah. So I hate... I think self-confidence is a fucking sham. Mm-hmm. I think it's a marketing tool. I think it's something that's weaponized against women especially. And, you know, it's this idea of it's a destination. If yeah. you could buy this makeup, if you wear these clothes, if you do this course, if you do, you, you'll get confidence. And this, for me, it's courage. It's courage. I think we need to replace the word confidence a lot, not always, with the word courage. Yeah. Because all of us possess that, right? And so you just need a little bit of courage, not a fuck ton of confidence to show up and be, you know, a powerful businesswoman. You just need to believe enough that you can get out of bed that day and have a crack at something you've never done before. Yep. And that's accessible to everybody. Yep. Whereas confidence seems like very far away and hard and something straight white corporate men have, you know, (laughs) something that's like way away from me. But if you can just unlock that tiny fire in you and be like, you know, I'm going to give this fucking crack. And I love that in every moment, which is why I love you, Every moment, I believe you have the capacity to change things wholly and completely, entirely, and put things on their head. Every moment, you can just make one decision. You're just one decision away from flipping something. Yep. From I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to start running. I'm going to leave that relationship. I'm going to try this new thing. I'm going to do that course. I'm going to call that person and apologize. I believe life isn't. You know, you can just you can turn on its head at any second. And you're a facilitator of change within people. And you're one of the few that I know that you know has big fucking results. But you're also out there. And I love that you have made it your life's work to facilitate change within people. So, in fact, you've started your own school, right? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe. So how do people – so I want to get all the plugs out because I will never be able to pay you what you're worth. <laughs> so um, I want you to talk about how people can access you regularly because I do, <clears throat> but how do, how do people who can't, like, text you and say I'm feeling wobbly? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Talk about the school. You have started a school for humans. It is literally a school of life. Well, uh, yeah, maybe. I think in the way that Ted Lasso says that that shows not, it's not a man and it's not a program, it's a vibe. Mm. I think, yeah, Mojo Crow is not a person and it's not a company. It's more a perspective. And You're I, so cute. It's you. <laughs> I just think we've lost perspective. And it's not me, by the way. Um, like you did more heavy lifting than I did in our session, right? Mm. It's the people who are prepared to lean in, mm. go internal rather than external, take off the masks, take off the armour. That's shit scary. And we'll get to courage versus confidence, that definition that you just referenced earlier. But in, I, I guess the work that I've been doing is pretty much more one-on-one for, mm. for a long time. And mm. when the pandemic hit, it was kind of like, shit, well... No one's competing, no one's traveling and so forth. But then the distractions just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And we thought, well, what can we do during 2020 to kind of give back? And I didn't really want to do it, to be frank. I was happily retired doing the one-on-one things. There was the Mojo team in particular, Ash and Ale and Dave and Alicia and this crew, they were the ones that were really pushing me to go down this further. You've got to do more, you've got to give it out. And they're all tech savvy. So we created the app and we created Mojo Espresso and we created all these kind of storytelling products just to help people kind of get through, you know, and we dedicated the year to year 12 kids around Australia and mm-hmm. just gave them these performance mindset sessions and stuff. So Mojo was a bit like insulation, right? It was just born out of the pandemic yeah. and just an idea to help people. That kind of then went crazier and crazier in terms of more demand. So we started doing keynotes that turned into masterclasses. These masterclasses, they kept on wanting more. We go, screw it. What if we could create 
a personal leadership course or a mindset app mm-hmm. that could teach people the exact same principles that we work on with an Ash or a, mm-hmm. a Dylan or a Dusty or or our executives um, that could answer those same three simple but not easy questions, right? Who am I? Which no one can kind of answer that nope. on their own. What do I want, right? Um, and then how do I get there? Right? Typically the three oh questions. God, it's so simple. It's simple but it's not easy. No. And I think that's the – we tried to – if we could simplify – these complex kind of questions yeah. and principles in a way that was easy for teenagers yeah. as well as, you know, senior executives. Mm. So we've got, you know, 17-year-olds and we've got 75-year-olds oh, doing the course wow. at the moment because everyone's distracted and we're typically distracted for the same reasons. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so everyone's kind of struggling to kind of go on that hero's journey yeah. to work out who they are, mm. accept themselves unconditionally, let go of all that shit, work out what they want put these goals and dreams out in the universe, but not make them expectations. Yeah. Because then we, because otherwise we will be focused on the destination to your point and mm. then we will get distracted. But Let's if you can, talk about confidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So confidence. Well, you, I think you're right in terms of your interpretation of I've confidence. I've got a real be my bonnet about it, Ben. Okay. I cool. mean, I went Mark Burris about it on his podcast. Yeah. yeah he time. loved it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love it as well because this shit's not easy, right? So socializing it and discussing it kind of mm. takes us on the same the same path. For me, there's two types of confidences, mm-hmm. right? Before you challenge me on the language, and by the way, the great thing about the English language is you can say the same thing nine billion different ways, right? So it comes down to intention and interpretation. Yeah. So self-confidence and performance confidence. Yeah. The reason I think you're right in terms of your definition or your interpretation is in order to unlock self-confidence, you need two things and you need a shitload of courage to unlock these two things. Mm-hmm. The first one is self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. Just accepting that you're imperfect. Mm-hmm. Pretty hard to do, right, when we live in a perfectionist society, right? And perfectionist society means we care what others think about us and I try and live up to this perfect image. Mm-hmm. But if you can just accept your imperfections like, and celebrate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've made a career of that. And, be, and being kind and gentler to yourself don't as part, as part yeah. of that. <laughs> <I know. laughs> you know that. If you don't accept yourself. Yeah. This is the downside. If you don't or if you can't accept your your imperfections, this Mm. is who I am, this is my body image, whatever, well, then you won't have confidence in yourself or confidence in someone else. Yeah. And therefore, guess what will happen then? You'll start comparing yourself. Yeah. And you'll start judging yourself, right? And if you're different in any shape or form, right, you'll start judging yourself harshly and judging us and then comparing themselves. And then you're letting the whole world interfere in who you are, right, and what you want out of life. And that's what's happening. So the first step is self acceptance. But once you've got that, that's not enough. You also need self-belief mm-hmm. to believe that fundamentally you're worthy to be here, to be in the arena. Courage again. Yeah. Again, you need courage to accept yourself and mm-hmm. you need courage to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. If you have those two things, mm-hmm. then you can have self-confidence, but that's not enough. That's mm-hmm. just self-confidence to believe you're worthy. You still have to have the confidence to put these goals and dreams out there without any guarantees, any promises, any expectations. Mm-hmm that you'll actually achieve those goals mm. and dreams. But I'd call that courage as well. I call that courage too. I think it's the wrong C word. <laughs> Genuinely, and I love the C word. Everyone knows that, but... But I'd also say vulnerability is courage. Yeah. Because right? you have to lean into risk it's a and vibe. uncertainty. But that's what it? I mean. Courage is the genesis of everything that we need as humans to be happier. Yeah. And we all possess courage. Yeah. We just got to find where it lies and where it lives. Yeah. In terms of the core values that I work on with someone, which is an exercise that we did loosely, I think. Yeah, let's, yeah we can talk about that for sure. But I think if... I've got my notes here from the session. Oh, there you go. I don't, but you can help me with it. No, no, yeah, go. Reflect. But I typically would ask someone to unlock someone's value set, right? I'd mm-hmm. say, righto, Em, what's, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you, right? Oh, or what's Jesus. one of the worst things oh, that's yeah, ever happened to you? Oh, yeah, we should talk gonna, about this. Well, only if you want to. No, but, no, oh, absolutely, because this was a turning point for me. 
So go ask the question. Do it again. Okay. Go. So, all right, Em, what's mm-hmm. what's one of the worst things that's ever happened to you? What's one of the biggest crucible moments you've ever had in your life? Losing my baby at nearly 16 weeks, Ray, definitely. And I was on breakfast radio at the time and a lot of people expecting a lot of different things of me and I just was in the most, it was the most rawest, devastated, hopeless pain I think I've ever felt. Yeah, definitely. Now let me ask you the second question. What got you through it? What got you through one of the most biggest crucible moments in your life? Because what gets us through those crucible is often where our values are unlocked because you had to draw down on some energy source yeah, mm-hmm. to get you through mm. one of the most devastating moments of your life. So, yeah, what, what got you through it? Well, I, I drew down on my vulnerability. My, yeah. my, I didn't deny in any way that I was hurting, that it was big and raw and real. Um, I rolled out to the edges of everything. I felt it all. I didn't deny myself the sadness. I spoke the sadness. I wrote the sadness. I completely inhabited a space of, yeah, I was really quite soft with everything. It's one of the only times in my life also I didn't apply rules. You know, I wasn't like, you must do it this way. And, And I remember feeling like I was the only woman in the world to have miscarried because no one was talking about it. Yep. But then I found out one in four actually do. So I think I started talking about it openly, uh, openly and being vulnerable about it in the hopes that it would give strength to other women who I knew were going through it but being silent about it. Yep. Yep. So for me, <clears throat> my superpower is, yeah, the vulnerability. vulnerability. Yep, yep. What else? What else got you through that? Is it family or friends or was it love? And this is, by the way, that just the exercise that we're doing now yeah. is typically where we get, in terms of our most authentic, the reason your greatest growth comes from your darkest times, mm. not only because it unlocks this humility and curiosity to talk about it, but it also unlocks our values. And that mm. could be courage, love, perseverance, resilience, positivity, optimism. But when we really unlock, yeah, shit, what got me through this period? Mm. What, what we're doing is often connecting with our authenticity in terms of our core values. So you've just unlocked one, yeah. which is vulnerability. Yeah. What else got you through? My friends... And family held the space. Often I am the strength and I'm the person that provides the problem solving and I'm the scaffolding, um, yep. the engine room. But I was allowed, you know, for a few weeks to just exist and not have all the other things that I normally have to worry about on me. So, yeah, friends and family checking in, holding the space, feeling the space, leaning in, leaning out. Um, yeah, a lot of, like... I watched a lot of hot Viking shows, a lot of violent Viking shows, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of TV escapism. Like I really got into TV sh- Like I remember just I could take my brain out. Yeah. It was violent Vikings. I watched the entire Viking series, the five seasons, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. in that time. And that got you into a different perspective. Totally, right? yeah. totally. Just enabled you to move through it and yeah. find a sense of what, what is it, possibility or... It is just it, gave it me a purpose, or? weirdly. I realised often in those, I'm a really curious person naturally and I, the curiosity for me was learning how many women have experienced this yeah. and not spoken about it and it made me realise this another layer of shame to being a woman is this idea that you've failed somehow because your body couldn't take a baby to term mm. and because not enough women are talking about it, everyone's like, oh, there must be something really dark and bad about it. So coming out of that, I got a purpose of wanting to shine a light in the dark spaces so that there weren't women trawling around the internet like I was at 3am trying to figure out what vessel I want to bring my child home from in the hospital and where do I bury the child because he doesn't get a birth certificate because he wasn't old enough and, 
those kind of things I was Googling. And I'm like, why aren't we having these conversations? And then I did find online all these women who had written anonymously and and then I chose to speak about it publicly yep. when I felt okay and it was the onslaught of people. Who, it was tens of thousands of people contacted me. It was really intense, the, the wave of people who finally felt represented and seen. Yep because I chose to speak about it publicly. So that's often how I move through the darkest time is then kind of broadcasting the vulnerability, I don't know, in yeah. the hope that it, people can draw strength from my weakest time. Yep. Well, what you've just done, you've unlocked your core values. And guess what? In other shit moments, you can draw down on the same three. You know, by the way, you ladder up, when I hear friends and family, I just ladder up the emotion, the value of that, which is love, mm. effectively. So you've called out vulnerability or courage or a derivative of those. You've called out love and you've called out curiosity or possibility or you know, optimism kind of you've got to keep going and even though the Vikings helped you get that perspective shift, you kind of went down that path, right? So, unlocking... But the Vikings were always going like forward. <laughs> They've always, they're on a quest. They're always yeah. going into a new land and that for me, I felt like even literally with the momentum of the boats on the water, I remember just feeling like they were in the rowing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that motion that just made me feel like keep, <laughs> if you can get up and keep putting one foot in front, that's all you have to do. Just totally. a tiny bit of one step each day. Yeah. yeah. I had a client, uh, Isaac Smith, um, who plays football. In fact, he won the Norm Smith this year. He told I'm me so a, sorry. I should I know, know that. Yeah, I know, I'm so yeah. sorry. He told me a story recently. If he played for Hawthorne in the 80s, I would have known him. He did know, He did play for Hawthorne, but oh, okay, not, not in the, not, 80s. Not the okay, 80s. Okay, go, yeah. Anyway, um, he said to me recently that um, he got right into the Vikings as oh, well. so good. And he said, did you realise, Crowey, when the Vikings take over a country, the first thing they do is they try and find the storyteller and they cut his head off. Jesus. <laughs> that is not where I thought that was going, Benjamin. The reason they do that is they want to kill the culture. They want to kill all the wisdom for that and they want to create a new identity. From now on, you you know, you love the Vikings and so forth. And I thought that was so fascinating, right? So the reason I – reason one of the reasons I do what I do is once I help someone work out who they are, work out their story – then I feel like they almost have an obligation to share that story, mm. especially if it's around imperfections and what got you through the crucible moments of your life because mm -hmm. that's how we learn. We learn from the storytellers who can then share their stories and we take the bits of wisdom and apply it to our own lives, right? So, that's all I want. Yeah. Every stand-up show I do, that's all I want. Totally. You also unlocked your purpose, right? Shining the light in the dark places for other people. Oh, my right? God, that is my purpose. Yeah. I'm getting another session. Thanks for that. <laughs> That's why when I tell someone and they look at me like I'm full of shit, when I say your greatest growth will come from this chapter because mm. it's not what happens to us in life, it's how we respond to what happens to us in life. That's mm. what matters. So there's only ever the possibility from whatever the shit life throws oh, yeah. our way. Yeah. So Rising from the ashes is my hobby. Yeah, So and that's kind of... I love it. That's, but that's kind of what we all need to remind ourselves of or hear enough mm. that because we all think we're the only ones going through this kind mm -hmm. of shit chapter with the pandemic or can't do anything right and so forth. But you can normalise that in a place of safety or accept that and then just work your way through that mm -hmm. and kind of own your story, right, regardless of whether there's good times or bad times. Because if your story is predicated on conditions of your life, you don't. first of all, you can't control it. Right. So it's basically saying if it's rainy, I'll be shitty. If it's sunny, I'll be happy, which yeah. is kind of abdicating responsibility for living, yeah? Mm. So once you realise, but once you realise you've got the power, most people don't even realise they've got the power to choose, to decide what yeah, kind of what human they want to be. Any moment of the day, you can change it. Totally. You're totally. not, it's not set in blood in stone like the commandments. Yeah. I think people forget that That's they... That's life changing for most people. Yeah. To, you, and you, know. you just need to give them permission, literally. Yeah. You can walk out from our conversation now and make a different decision. Totally. Make five of them.
yeah. and change every fucking thing about your life. The simplest, the simplest exercise in our course, it's it, you know, the last exercise of chapter one, who am I? It's literally to write a to-be list. Right, what kind of human? I wrote a to-be list. I, I think you did I too. did. Here, I'll get it up. Share it with you your... Okay. I'll give it to you. You're okay. the boss. Well, I'll ask you, uh, I'll ask you again. Oh, no, now I won't remember what I said. <laughs> That's all right. Okay. I'll ask you. Yeah. Okay. What kind of human does Amrosciano want to be for the rest of this year? Or I could say the rest of your life, right? When you wake up in the morning, yes. forget what you're going to do because yes. you can't control any of that shit. No. But the human you want to be, you're in total control of that person. Yeah. What kind of human do you want to be? I very much want to be courageous, mm-hmm. loving, resilient, curious, open and present. Gotcha. Gotcha. Truly. Now, what do you need externally in order to be that human? Do you need money to be that person? No. No. Do you need validation no. from other people? Do you need media or social media in order to be that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good answer. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, yes. But no. Yeah, I know, I know, I know what you mean. But the thing is, is if we can just connect back with the human we want to be, that's what I'm hoping in terms of don't waste the pandemic, right? Mm. You know, when all the clients saying to us, you know. Um, what do you mean don't waste the pandemic? Well, I'd say to clients during the pandemic, right, if, regardless of whether you're religious, you believe in God, let's just assume for the purpose of the exercise, the world's trying to tell us something. Mm. What do you reckon she's trying to say? And mm. overwhelmingly, they all said the same thing. They all said that reckon the world's trying to tell us to stop doing mm. and start being, mm. right? Rather than being a human doing, why don't we be a human being? Why don't we just stop mm. and be present and listen and be playful and stop saying busy when someone says, how are you? And oh, a badge of honour for so many of us leading in. Totally. It's a great hiding place. Yeah. I want you to open a play centre for adults. Funny you say that. That's oh, please prob- tell me you're doing it. Well, <gasps> not yes! so much, but the, probably the big aha for me in the last two years, travelling the world or working with clients and just, you know, having these kind of conversations is of all the wh- the reasons why so much of the world is languishing now rather than flourishing and mm. we've kind of lost energy and we've lost motivation um, is because we've become so, I guess, extrinsically motivated and that's not doing it for us. I've, no. got, I've got money, I'm recognised, but I'm still... Your cup is empty still. Totally, yeah. That's, that's happened to your joy. So the, so the goal then is to get intrinsically motivated mm-hmm. and there's three intrinsic kind of categories, but one in particular, which is what you've just referenced. One is uh, this whole um, just to be more playful. Playful. Yeah, to be, because the opposite of play isn't work. The opposite of play is fear. So you think about how fearful the world is right now. Mm. So the antidote, or one of the antidotes, is to be playful, to bring that childlike joy yeah. and present happiness and curiosity in the act of doing something for mm. sometimes the simple act of doing something. It could 100%. be going for a, a playful walk Anything. or having a playful conversation. Clay. I make clay monsters with um, Elio. Yeah. Because if I'm curious, I'm not anxious. That's that's like if I just if I start feeling myself getting that, you know, the fluttering, I'm like, no, ask questions, keep going. Yeah. But I often get people, because I'm very playful and I'm very like, you know, I'm essentially about eight really in terms of my spirit. Yeah, good. And Child, I, I call that childlike, not childish, Yeah, childlike. No, I am. Yeah. And I think I always, and people are shocked that I'm 44 and have a 21-year-old and because, you know, I press flowers on my face as we speak. Yeah. Oh, she's so quirky. That's not what I mean. But I have always known the value of play. Yeah. And I think adults and I and people say, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could do that with my kid. I wish I could. And, and I always write back and say, yeah, you can. 100%. You, you just have to give yourself permission. Don't watch your kids play. Get down on the ground with them. Lay on your tummy. And, like, if Bluey has taught us anything in yeah. terms of parenting models, like, I think it's made all of us better parents because Bandit and Chili engage at the same level as Bluey and Bingo do. 
they're as committed to the games as the kids are. Totally. And that cartoon has given, I think, so many Australian families permission, adults permission to play. Totally. There was a quote written over 150 years ago. Um, Not a shred of evidence exists in favour of the idea that life is serious. Mm. But we all take it so, so seriously. seriously. We care what people think about us and it's all serious and adult. We've got to have the answers and it's all expectations and so forth. But mm. So bringing more play back into your life, mm. and you can do that. There's so many different ways you can, that's icebreakers or get a dog or have kids and so forth, anything that gets you in that childlike way. Um, and so obsessing bringing play into your personal mm. life and your professional life. Mm every single day mm. will slowly, slowly overcome this, these macro fears that are just screwing with our psychology. Oh, that's death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. All of us. We're exhausted by them. Yeah. And so News media in particular oh, trying to sorry. trying to drive that. So. <laughs> yeah. But the other two motivations, just to round it up, that conversation Tell is... Tell me. Um, I never round anything because my brain's... I know you do. I'll, I'll try no, and You're round, important. I'll try and round it off. The second The second one is round purpose. Right, yeah. Just finding, finding some meaning in your life, finding something that matters. You know, I'm going to say to you, and I know this is like... Someone's going to be listening now and going, how do I find my purpose in yeah. 30 seconds? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can. Well, in, You're like, in, I've got some experience in that matter. In 30 seconds, just ask yourself this question. How can I be the best part of someone else's day today? Because in its simplest form, purpose is just to do something for someone else. That's good. Right. And How can I be the, the best part? someone else's day. Well, we already are. They've downloaded this podcast. (laughs) We've done our job today. But as soon as you say that question, guess what also happens? You lose ego, Mm. you lose fear, you lose identity, you lose this obsession with self. You start thinking about others. Sometimes the greatest way to get yourself out of your own rut is to be in service of others. Yeah. Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Mahatma Gandhi. How do you say his name? Mahatma Gandhi. That's it. Yeah. Is that him? That's him. Yeah. Yeah. And the third one is... Tell me. The third one is potential or possibility. You know, to, uh, the possibility of what I can do with whatever gifts that I've been giving on this planet, you know, to get out of my comfort zone, to try on all things, to realise my potential on this planet. That's that can... why I love Mondays. I love Mondays. Why is that? Because of the potential. Yeah. You got, the, you got five, yeah, the potential for the week or the potential for yeah, yourself? for the week. Yeah. For myself, for the week. Yeah. Because I've always got you in my head, win the, win the morning, win the day. Yeah. So Mondays is like, okay, let's go. Let's go. What do we got now? I've never understood, but I've always loved Mondays. I've never understood where people are like, oh. I'm like, no, let's go. Yeah. Let's yeah. go Monday. What, what have you got for What me? can we create this week? 100%. What's going to get us excited this week? Yeah. Oh, my God. So you tap into that third one. In fact, you tap into all three. Do I? Yeah. Play, purpose and potential. Yeah. Oh, my God. There you go. You and should she, be in flow. And she's done a, it. a lot of the time. I am. Yeah. Except for certain times where we're going to talk about. So my main issue, which kept coming up for us in the yeah. session, is I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. Not patient enough, not smart enough, not loved enough, not good enough, not honest enough, not Italian enough, not Australian enough, hmm. not normal enough, not a comedian enough, not a cabaret artist enough, not a musician enough. These things have haunted me my entire life. And as we kind of talked about at the start, this is this not enoughness is mm-hmm. like a pandemic in itself, mm-hmm. isn't it? 100%. And it's kind of annoying that I'm so common, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> You're not. There's some things you are. You are human, though, unfortunately. No, I know. And you know what? I know a lot of people will hear me saying these things because yeah. I'm multidisciplinary and I do lots of different things. But the reason I do lots of different things is because of this. Yeah. The reason I became jack of all trades, master of none, is because of this. I've learned to tap dance. I've learned to attach my self-worth to achieving as many different things as possible in the hope that I won't walk around feeling like a fucking fraud all of the time. Yeah. 
But in my defence, I turned up to primary school, you know, with very olive skin and Italian features and an Italian name in a very Anglo-Saxon school. And the second my teacher called my name on the roll, it began for me. I was othered. Yeah. And I've spent my life trying to figure out, and now I know I'm autistic, I was working double time trying to figure out how to fit in and how not to be othered and and how to be enough that people will want to invite me to their birthday parties and how to be enough, you know. Yep. And then that kind of continued on into my into my life in that when I got around Italian people, I've got an Australian mum, so I'm not really, you know, the only place I've ever felt enough was in my athletic career mm. because I had the medals. Like, you know, like I had the proof yep. I was enough. Yep. So a lot of people listening would be identifying with this whole idea of not being enough. I'm still working on it, truly. This is probably the last kind of thing for me with you is, I still, I intellectually know I'm enough, but I think I've been conditioned for so long by my, by myself and yeah. people around me. How do, how do we start to kind of st- stop that feeling of I'm just not doing all the things I should be doing, therefore I'm failing? Yeah. Making sense of your belief system and making sense of your life story. So shit happens in our life and we believe a certain thing, good or bad, right or wrong about ourselves or, or the world, Right. Unfortunately, with our reptilian brain with a negative bias, it's more negative than positive about ourselves and about the world, right? So part of the process is making sense of your life story and and realising that your life story is not your life, it's just your story Mm. and you're the author of it. So you made me tell you my life story when we first met. Correct. And there was a deliberate reason for that. And it's the most powerful. The first three exercises of our course are by far the hardest, but by far the most transformational. Because that's when you realise mm. that it's my decisions, not the conditions of my life mm. that determine my perspective on myself. But we also need to let go of certain belief systems about ourselves, mm. right? And those moments in our primary school years mm. or our secondary school years when either we started comparing ourselves against siblings or friends and found a very good reason to say we're not good enough, not happy enough, not successful enough, not loved enough. And we all have it, by the way. There's not, there's not a human on the planet that doesn't have that shame story, that not enoughness story mm. at different stages of our life where we crave the love we felt like we didn't get enough of from mum or dad and we thought if we did something or achieved something, then they would love us, right? And that's the first time that that kind of shows up. We tell ourselves a story that we're not loved unconditionally. It's conditional on having to do something or achieve something. Well, that story just continually shows up mm-hmm. in our teenage years or 20s or 30s or in 40s. In our marriages. When, when again, we tell ourselves that, geez, maybe I'm not worthy of this relationship. Yeah. I'm not worthy of this promotion. I'm not worthy of giving this press talk. And that imposter syndrome just shows up in a different costume mm-hmm. and it will continually show up until you can kind of understand the source. So you go back, what you know, and then with that source, you start to work out a way to be kinder to yourself or have empathy for others. And often it's, a, you know, be a, a story you tell yourself in terms of your parents. But through a generous assumption, you can come sometimes they did their come best. the other way. Yeah, totally. I know my parents did their best and they did not have good role models. Well, as soon as you say that statement, right? Totally. Then you, you cut them some slack. Yeah. And shame can't exist mm-hmm. when M. Ruschiano unlocks empathy and compassion in the way you just did there. Mm-hmm. You know you know what? They're probably doing the best job they could given mm. the circumstances. So if your not enoughness came from that particular reference, we can start to let it go and start to be kinder to them and be kinder to yourself. You don't deny it. That, you know, that shit happened. You just separate your self-worth from that. And then you find little elements when, you know what? Yeah, I do remember when I did have a crack, I was more courageous, I was more brave. You know what? Maybe I am enough. Mm. I'm imperfect and I'm full of struggle and I don't have all the answers and I'm shit scared and I can't figure this out on my own. But by the way, so is every human on the planet in that boat. But I'm 
unconditionally worthy. I believe I'm worthy of having a crack. Mm. And if you can hold those two principles deep inside of yourself, right, I'm imperfect, well, that's self-acceptance. And I'm worthy, well, that's self-belief. Mm. You bring those two things together, then you put, then you have a crack in life. No guarantees or promises it'll work out, mm. but at least you come from that unconditional place and then you redefine success from that place. And when you redefine success from the human you want to be, not the human you want to do, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to be no. successful. You don't have to wait to be happy. You fall in love with the process of being am the, the human being. Mm. You show up from that place. Mm. And you can control that human being, yeah. by the way. You can't control pandemics, what other people's opinions, expectations of outcome and all this other stuff. But the human you want to be that you used to think that she wasn't good enough or loved enough or Italian mm. enough or an Aussie enough, you, go, you know what? Screw it. I'm worthy to be here. I am enough. Well, that was the whole thing that you gave me for the press club because essentially it boiled down to me not feeling enough to present that talk. Yeah. That was at its most basic level and... When we got to that, when you really, you wouldn't, you were unrelenting, like, no, but why, why, what, talk more. And it got down to me feeling this, five-year-old M, not enough. And then you helped me to realise this is bigger than you. And that's what unlocked it for me was that permission to not make it about myself. That moment, which is what you've said, you, you... you be in the service of others when you're feeling, you know, a bit yeah. shit. So I wrote the speech in service of my son and that became the sole focus for me was my son and other people like him in service to them. Yes. Yeah, I'm struggling to speak right now just because, yes, it was quite a, what you've just said is quite profound and from a purpose mindset point of view, you unlocked what we call the power of dedication and you can dedicate a talk a career, a lifetime, whatever. But when you dedicate your performance to someone else that's helped you get there, it could be a parent, it could be a neighbour, a brother, a sister, it could be your son, right? But when you dedicate a performance to someone else, it takes that performance to the highest of level or the deepest level mm-hmm. and it's not about you. Mm-mm. So you lose that ego and fear. The reason most people fear public speaking is because they think it's about them. Mm-hmm. Right. Giving a talk or a presentation, it's got nothing to do with you. It's got Mm-mm. everything to do with the audience and creating an environment to help them understand these principles and help them on their journey. Mm. When you unlock that and the storyteller just came to the fore. Oh, it was easy. Right. And you gave me a touchstone. Anytime I started feeling like imposter, not good enough, I realised I'd wandered too far from the touchstone. So I go back, put my hand on the stone, which was, you know, neurodivergent kids and me as a kid and everyone I was writing it for. And I was able to refocus straight away. So you really unlocked it for me. And I, I left that session and I went and I wrote it really quickly. Like I wrote it when I said to you, I think within a week I'd written it. Yeah. And I sat with my friend Jamila Rizvi, who's incredible, and she helped me with all the um, all the policy stuff and she helped me with the structure. And, and then I came back to see you with the speech and you <laughs> said something terrifying. You said, I'm going to read it to you. And I want to fucking leave. <laughs> drink. Have a drink. I'm going to have some coffee. It was so scary because I was about to hear my words from you of all people. And so... As the audience, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you're the bullshit detector. <laughs> like, having done such deep work with me, you would know if I was showing up how we planned. And you said to me, how do you want to show up? Who's showing up? Mm. Who do you want people to see? What do you want them to feel? And it was all my core values is how I wanted people to feel. Totally. So do you remember that session? I do. Very well. Yeah. Yes. I remember, um, 
Yeah, and I was watching your body language as I was as I was reading it out as well. Of course you were. Yeah, yeah. And there's a few times I got a, I got emotional reading mm. elements of that story as well. And um, I knew you would make people laugh and I knew you would be able to explain to them the story and get the core message of your purpose is what you wanted to get out in terms of the um, normalising or, or, but also creating an environment where there could be some policy changes around some of these things and so forth. And I knew you'd make them cry. I just didn't know you'd make me cry <laughs> in the first draft. So I think I said to you there's very little I can even give you advice on because mm. it was so authentic, it was so real, it was so raw, it was so right, you know, um, especially the ending, you know, around the T-Rex dinosaur, right, um, to, to roar back. That that got me um, in particular. So, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was a very powerful, powerful third session I think it was. It was a, huge. Mm. But I couldn't have got there without you like it's so like I I didn't know how we would go together because you work with sporty sport people I was a sporty sport person which my husband pointed out he's like no Ben and you are actually a perfect match because you were uh, you were a world junior athlete you were the elite you know I was an elite hurdler that's like that this is how I worked was and so I think you and I worked well together because my brain is still in the athletic mindset of, mm-hmm. you know, analysing performance. How can I give the best I've got? What's getting in my way? I always used to fall over the last hurdle. So I would come off the second last hurdle and then I would look at the finish line and forget that there was one hurdle to go. And I really wish that you had have been around <laughs> in those days because no psych. The VIS put me in front of every sports psych they could. Every important race I fucked on the last hurdle. Really? I barely finished a final. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, why is that because I was looking at the finish line? Is that the Maybe. self-sabotage? Maybe, yeah. You were, you were so fixated on what could go wrong rather than what could go right. I but you didn't have that ability to focus back, <laughs> focus your attention back. But just so you know, I mean, I started working with athletes, but when I wrote my purpose down, you know, back in 1990, when was it? 1998 uh, in Hong Kong, I wrote down, I just want to help athletes do things better and be better for it. I had no idea what or how that was going to kind of take shape, but... Very quickly, I started working with coaches and CEOs and teenagers and so forth. So I just reframed my definition of an athlete mm-hmm. is anyone who likes to compete, have mm-hmm. fun and mm-hmm. play because then it's a blank canvas for the whole world, right? So because there's no one who doesn't like to compete, have fun and play. So then my canvas could be for anyone, right? Mm-hmm. So because um, I mean the principles that I work on with athletes are the same for anyone who's distracted mm-hmm. either by focusing on everyone's distracted, Ben. things they can't control but wanting to control them, right, mm-hmm. which is in my opinion the definition of anxiety, stress, pressure or worry. You said something about that, the idea of wanting to control stuff, right, which I really loved because I'm a helicopter Italian parent, right, but yeah. I've been having you ring in my ears about wanting to control the way the world happens to my kids. Mm-hmm. I've really been bad at that. I'm a very good parent. Like that's one of the things we talk about self-confidence. I fucking show up for my kids, yeah. always have. But I, one of the disservices I think that I've done is that I interfere. Yeah. And you have a great philosophy. Well, I just do it, say it, because it really is. I've got it written uh, everywhere. Well, I just think the whole world's interfering or, mm. you know, we're, we're letting others interfere in our lives and life tasks or we're interfering in other people's lives and, and life tasks. And there's a beautiful book if people want to read up some more of this over the, the holiday break called The Courage to Be Disliked. It's based on, it's a Jap, it's a Japanese book translated into English. Mm-hmm. It's about a Japanese philosopher talking about the meaning of life with a young boy. And it's based on Adlerian psychology, um, which I particularly like as it relates to where the world is at right now. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I'm interfering in 
other, my kids' lives and life tasks or I'm letting other people interfere in mine, whether it's parents, parents, it could be media, social media and so forth. Letting people I wouldn't ask for advice have opinions about me and caring about them. Yeah, so the goal is to identify, M. when am I interfering mm-hmm. in someone else's life mm-hmm. and life tasks or when am I letting them, you know, by their judgment or comparison, interfere in my life and life tasks. And if you can identify these, these times, then you can just li- literally say, from here on in, that is not my life task. What M. Rusciano thinks about me is not my life task. I, think you're I can't, amazing. I can't control I love it. You. But then someone might say, if you're a parent, right, the, the obvious question this is, I the get one. is if I'm a, well, what's my role in this relationship? Correct. What now, if you can see your child is hurtling to a bad decision? Yep. What do you do? Yep. Yeah. Well, obviously, depending on the age. I mean, yeah, she's 21. Bracket, she's 21. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, so in your, okay, if she's 21, then your role in this relationship is to do one of four things. I love this. I love these four things. Can I get them tattooed on my body? Where's my T-shirt that say these four things? Because they're fucking great. They're my... <laughs> they're my favourite four things you say. Go! <laughs> the first one is to encourage them. Yes. The second one is to be available yes. to them. The third one is to be open to them. Yes. And the last one is to love them. Bang. But not interfere. Oh, that's Because hard. it's... Her life Did and you know her I'm life Italian? task. It's very hard. Yeah, it's, it's like in our DNA. But it's in all our DNA. <clears throat> kind of, we want to help people, right? But it's kind of gone way too far. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it's because it's, we want it's, it's, it's about us. Mm. You know that classic you know helicopter kind of generation. Oh, where yeah. Because we about, were raised by boomers who left us under the table in the Trivial Pursuit fucking parties and we ate twisties for dinner. Yeah. They didn't how, give a shit. How's it going to make us look? Our family, our reputation, Correct. our identity, and so forth. As opposed to really, is it about you? Yeah, really? Wow. Is it your life task? <laughs> So I, can I of, say that when people ask me just shit I don't want to do? Because I just say, is that my life task? <laughs> well, yeah. Yes. In a lot of cases, that Sanctuary. might enable us to say no a lot more oh. and focus what is my life task. Mm. So in particular around craving recognition, mm-hmm. this could go a long way because what you think about me is not my, and I can't control it, but what I think about myself that's on me. Mm-hmm. That's my responsibility. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So who you are is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Say that again. I'm going to Brienne Brown you. Say that again. <laughs> who you are is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yes. I'm going to let that sink in. I feel like Oprah, it's Brene, I said Brienne. Brene Brown, Oprah, here I am having my own moment with you. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. Your next course should be about that. It's about... Yeah, making a decision, having responsibility for my life and my life task and go on my hero's journey and not be comparing ourselves to other people's journeys because mm. we're all on different journeys for different reasons. We can only join the dots looking back. Yes. Right? Our job is to be kind and compassionate to others, not comparing and judging ourselves with mm. others. Mm. And that's what I mean by there's so much interference going on mm. is, you know, and we're living through the most opinionated judgmental time in living history, right, driven largely by negative news media. So everyone's walking around with these opinions and these judgments. That they're and... entitled to. Yeah. That yeah. one, I'm entitled to my opinion. No, just that first bit, you're entitled. You're, you're, you're feeling entitled to my time, attention, my heart, my love, and you haven't done anything to earn that. Totally. But I still yeah. find myself tending towards those people. Lizard brain. We focus on the negative. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that entitlement is just part of this expectation generation where – you know, the world owes me something or... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, reality so. TV. Although I did come from there. So. <laughs> this is Emsolation. Oh, are you okay? How are you feeling? Check in with yourself right now. What's going on? That was a lot. So we've split it. Part two is coming up next week. Some of your questions for Ben, which was so beautiful. And also I want to thank the people who recorded themselves and sent 
the messages into us because that is a special level of bravery and vulnerability that I admire. And Ben was super impressed. He thought I was just going to be reading them out. But when he heard your voices, I saw his little face light up. He loved it. So part two of my chat with Ben Crow will be out next Thursday. In the meantime, you can find him on Instagram at Mojo Crow. You can sign up for his mindset course. So great. I recommend it. Download the app Mojo Crow. He's building a whole movement and it's just, it's really making a difference. I want to thank Ben again for being here and uh, don't miss our chat next week with some of your questions. See you then. Emsolation with M. Rossiano is a Spotify exclusive podcast recorded at Down the Hill Studios, hosted by M. Rossiano with Michael Lucas and sometimes her eldest daughter, Marcella. Executive produced by Benjamin Wosley, produced by M. Rossiano, edited by Ezekiel Fenn, with videos by James Henderson, socials by Marcella Rossiano Barrow, with assistance from Jem Evans, plus cameos from M's dad, Vinci. Get the full Emsolation experience by following us on Instagram at Emsolation Podcast. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. Join other Emsolators at the Emsolation Group on Facebook. The answer is Harry Styles. If you really want to help us out, you could become a patron of Emsolation. Share this podcast with a friend. Give us a five-star rating and make sure you're following us on the Spotify app by actually hitting the follow button. As always, thanks for listening and we're excited to chat with you again soon. Okay.